Let's open the scripture, Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. Holy Word of God. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nigh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abraham, but thy name shall be Abraham. For father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will make, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, unto thy seed after thee, the land where thee. Thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my commandment, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house, or bought with the money of any strangers, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Let's continue to turn to the New Testament Acts chapter 2. Verses 37 through 42. Acts 2, 37. This is after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Now when they, the hearer, heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that is 
are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. On the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Let me read first Acts 2, 38 and 39, and then read Lord's Day 27. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Lord's Day 27 on page 56. 27. Question 72. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from our sin. Question 73. Why then does the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus not without great cause to it, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. But especially that by this divine pledge and sign, he may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Question 74. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they, as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God, and since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult. They must, therefore, by baptism as a sign of the covenant, but also admitted into the Christian church, and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers, as was done in the Old, Test- Old Covenant or Old Testament, by circumcision, instead of which baptism is instituted in the New Covenant. Boys and girls, do you love to hear your mom and dad promise 
They may promise to give you a certain gift or may bring you to a certain place. The bigger the promise, the more excited you become, not knowing that the more costly on the part of your mom and dad. You will look forward to the fulfillment of that promise by constantly reminding them and even counting the days, won't you? If you are so excited about earthly promise by your earthly father, are you much more excited by the incomparable promise by your heavenly father? This promise can no one on the earth promise you. This promise is so costly that the Son of God had to die to purchase that promise. This promise is not only announced to you by pastors, but also sealed by God himself. Are you excited about such promise? The covenant promise in the baptism is to the believers and to their children. We first look at the theme, the promise or the covenant promise in the baptism. First to the believers and second to the children of believers. May the believers and their children comforted by such amazing promise. And may unbelievers are convicted and repent even tonight to receive such amazing promise. First, to the believers, what is the promise in the baptism? At Pentecost, Peter said here in Acts 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then they were baptized. The promise is a remission of sin and receiving of the Holy Ghost. What is the remission of sin? A dictionary defines the original word, the Greek word, remission here as release, forgiveness. Indicates the state of having a particular obligation removed or ignored in a given relationship. What is the obligation of sin? Guilt before God and condemnation of God's wrath and punishment of eternal death in hell. What does sin deserve? What does an offender of God deserve? Boys and girls, 
You may remember the story of Korah against Moses and ultimately God. The earth underneath Korah and his family opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and they went down into the pit alive. John the Baptist warned the Pharisees and the Sadducees to flee from the wrath of God, saying that now axe is laid onto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Someone says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Sinners cannot stand before God, and they deserve fire, eternal fire. Boys and girls, you may fear things. You may be afraid of being scolded, or you are afraid of failure or shame. Sin should be most to be afraid of. Because by sinning, you are offending God. By sinning, a sinner is instantly separated from God by a huge gulf. And on the judgment day, that earth will sink to hell as Korah did. Sin has huge consequences. And I do not think of any other thing can have such huge consequences. You can imagine that you made an enormous mistake, but not sin. A horrible mistake. And you cannot think of dreadful consequences because of that mistake. But that consequence cannot even compare with the consequence of sin. You and I have done the worst thing in the world by sinning. Worse than every possible mistake you can make without sin. If we seriously meditate on sin and its consequence, we should not be able to sleep. Woe unto me, such a sinner, despiser of God. Now, the promise of God is pronounced here. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What did messengers say? Guilt of sins and horrible punishment of sins 
are removed. Not only such, the Holy Spirit will be upon us. How can this be? How can righteous and just God allow my sins unpunished? How can the Holy Spirit be upon you? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit means so much. Whosoever has the Holy Spirit will be called a son of God. Will have the right to inherit heaven's inheritance, and we have the power to overcome flesh inside of us, and will forever. With God, the one who has the Holy Spirit is the one who is entitled to every benefit in Christ. How can this promise be to you and to me, dear believers? Am I mistaken? This unbelievable promise is pronounced together with the holy baptism. Such amazing promise! It is purchased by amazing God-Man Jesus Christ. He made impossible possible. He shows you and assures you. Such splendid promise in the holy baptism. Christ not only uses the baptism as a teaching illustration, but more importantly, as a sign and seal to assure his dear sheep. Sign, boys and girls. What is example of sign? A U.S. flag is a sign. You do not stop at the flag and looking at this fabric, and the pattern. You think more about what this flag means. This flag points to the United States of America. Not just the name of your country. It points to the people in this country. The religion. Of this country, the power of this country, the glory of this country—a sign is a pointer to something more important. The holy baptism is a sign, pointer, pointing to the death and the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ, the most important thing. You see the washing by water in the baptism, and this represents the washing by blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and also by the Holy Spirit after His resurrection. The result of washing by water is purging away the filth of the body, and such result. Points to the cleansing of the filth of our souls 
by the blood of Jesus and the renewing of our souls by the Holy Spirit poured out to his people after resurrection. God uses such simple things to represent such amazing, invisible, and spiritual promise. While Jesus was cursed on the cross and endured hell on it, blood came out of Jesus from all parts of his body. And this blood cleanses his people pure. After he purifies his sheep, he was resurrected and poured out the Holy Spirit to adopt them as the sons of God to give them eternal life. Have you seen curse and blessing both are on the cross? Have you seen the wrath of God and the peace of God are all on the cross? This is all because of Jesus. It is Jesus who stood between the curse and the blessing. It was Jesus who stood between the wrath of God and peace with God. God not only uses the holy baptism to point to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but also seals such amazing promise. A seal is a solemn declaration that it is true and authentic. Boys and girls, you may remember that some kings in the Bible used their rings as seals to very important commands. Not only to prove that these commands are from the king truly, but also assure that there will be no change. Our God, who is much higher than all earthly kings combined, seals his promise in the baptism. This seal is like a divine stamp with three signatures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Authentic and no change. Have you ever seen a signature by God? Even more, have you ever seen signatures with all three persons of God? The holy baptism is most amazing moment that all three persons of God sign and seal this holy, solemn promise. Why does God do so with sinners like you and me? 
we are prone in nature to hate God and to hate one another. There has never been one single moment that we loved God with all our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our strengths. Nor have we loved others truly as ours. We were rotten inside out, and the most proper place for us is hell. Where all haters of God dwell. Why did God send Christ to die on the cross? Why do all three persons of God sign such solemn promise to save sinners, hater of God? As we heard last Sunday, for He is good, and His mercy endures forever. God assures His people that your sins are forgiven, and the Spirit is upon you. With this divine ring of with three holy names, God pledged that. We are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like, like crimson, crimson, they shall be as wool. Dear believer. This is you. You may think yourself as filthy, and this is right in some sense. But what matters most is what God thinks of you. God sees you as perfect. The blood of Jesus has done such a perfect job that you are spotless and blameless. After creation of Adam, God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Now in Christ, who is far more superior than Adam, sees you and says, "Very good, boys and girls." Do you have rain boots? If they are very muddy, you wash the rain boots clean. They can be so clean that they seem to have never get muddy before. Shiny, rainy rain boots without any dirt. If you wear your rain boots in your yard for many days and never wash them, you can imagine how muddy. The boots will be. Your soles are like your rain boots. You wear your soul every day, and you sin many times, even on a single day. Are you five years old? 
five years of daily wearing of your souls without washing. Are you 12 years old? More years of staying. Are you in your 70s and 80s without belief? Then are you longing for washing? Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You are not too young or too old to repent and believe. The triune God solemnly seals such promise that if you repent and believe, your sins will be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit as gift will be upon you. This is sealed. This promise is not absolute in the sense that not every single one will have the remission of sins and the Holy Spirit. Not everyone can take this promise and say that his sins are forgiven. This promise is conditional and limited in the sense that only those who repent and believe can have such great salvation. Are you longing to have that promise of remission of sins, but are not sure whether that promise is to you? You are not sure whether you repented deep enough and believed strong enough in the promise God did not say that only those who repent deep enough and believe strong enough can have their sins forgiven. The promise of God distinguishes true and false believers, but does not distinguish weak from strong, belief, strong faith. So the question today is not, did I repent? Is, is, did I repent? And did I believe? Not, did I believe strongly enough? Or did I repent enough? Let me ask you now, did you repent? By nature, we are prone to hate God and our neighbors. Repent is to turn to the opposite direction to love God and to love our neighbors ourselves. Did you find in your moment, in your life, that 
you loved God. Although such love was faint, but your conscience knew that it was genuine love. You realize that such love could not come out of yourself. Did you have time that you hated sin not because it caused pain to you, not because of your self-love, but because you offended God. Your flesh shall never hate sin unless it hurts yourself. Such hatred towards sin does not come from inside of you. Love towards God, hatred towards sin, no matter how tiny and faint, if they are genuine, this is a turn, a tiny turn, a tiny crack opening of your heart. And this work cannot come from you. This is repentance, faint repentance, the work of the Holy Spirit. Can you deny it? Can you consciously, by your conscience, deny it? You have never had such true, genuine love. You have to admit that this small thing never comes from you, but from God. If you have very weak repentance and faith, but still genuine, this promise is unto you. The promise is like a bank check. This check pays to the order of those who repent and believe. The check amount is astonishing. Full payment for all sins and eternal death. The signatures are even more unbelievable the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those who had a significant change of life and a strong conversion joyfully take the bank check to the bank and bank clerk credits the full amount to that person's account. But you are not such person. You gaze upon the bank check 
pay to the order of those who repent and believe. You gaze after gaze, and you can't deny that God worked in your heart to love God and hate sin. Your struggle is not whether you love God, but rather you are not loving God as you ought. You cannot deny that Christ is your only hope. You know that you will not exchange anything for Christ. You gaze upon the bank check, and you admit that you have that very weak repentance and a very tiny faith, but they are genuine. You take the bank check with trembling hands and shaking legs to the bank with hundreds of doubting arrows coming from Satan. And the bank clerk credits the full amount to your account. If we determine in our heart that I will not go to the bank until I am as holy as that person, we are raising the bar more than God states. We will then modify in our hearts the bank check issued by God. God writes, pay to the order of those who repent and believe. And we piously say no. And we piously change in our heart this bank check. Pay to the order of those who repent enough and believe in special experience. Do you think God will sign the modified check with three signatures? God's seal on the promise indicates that his promise cannot be changed. I testify unto every man that heareth the word of prophecy of this book, says John the Apostle. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. This promise is for believers. No matter how weak you are, these people need to overcome hard believism, believism by raising the bar more than the scripture. But we also need to take caution against easy believism by lowering the bar than the scripture. These people may attend the church services faithfully on tithes, agree with sound doctrines, 
even come to the Lord's Supper and live a decent life. And they reduce the repentance and faith to moral behaviors. If this is repentance and belief, then the Pharisees will have the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Although these people live moral lives, they do not show the attributes of beatitude. They are not poor in spirit. They do not mourn over sins. They are not meek. Nor do they hunger and thirst after righteousness. These outward behaviors can be done by religious but unconverted people. But poor in spirit, meekness, hunger, and thirst after righteousness can never be performed by an unconverted. Easy believism lowers the bar to such a degree that even unconverted person, if he is religious enough, can perform without the Holy Ghost. If you think you are one of those, these people, compare yourself seriously with the beatitude. If you find you are relying on your decent church life and moral behaviors, even tonight, repent and discard all your self-righteousness. It's all man-made righteousness. And believe in the righteousness of God. Pray for repentance. It's hard to deny all your righteousness. It's like all your life was wasted. But if you see the promise of God for those who truly repent, it is worthwhile to throw all that righteousness away, won't you? Dear unbelievers, you may be different from those who have strong, weak faith. You did not repent and believe. You firmly believe that God has to give it to me. I am dead and I can do nothing. Or if it's God will to save me, then he will save me no matter what. 
These are truths in the scriptures, and it's very precious truths. It's very good for your souls. However, these truths are not standing alone truths. They are accompanied by other truths. God also commands, and the fact of commanding clearly tells us that human beings have duties and responsibilities to the to obey the commandments. If we emphasize God's sovereignty only in our salvation and downplay our responsibilities, we are actually placing responsibility to God in the name of pious submission to God's sovereignty. In the very subtle way, we can blame God if we are not saved. Adam blamed God very subtly when God came to judge Adam and Eve. Do you really think God should be responsible if you are not saved? If this is true, then it would be unjust for God to cast away unrepentant sinners into hell because these sinners are not responsible for their not repenting. If God is unjust, how can he judge the world? God commands us to repent. And such commandment clearly shows that it is human responsibility to repent. Commandments do not always necessarily saying that we have that ability to obey, but clearly tells us that it is our duty to obey. God cannot and will not repent for you. The grace of God is that he provides unable sinners power to repent. But still, the act of repentance is by man. As Puritan theologians distinguish the power and the act. Repentance is squarely man's responsibility, although he has no power. If you have a responsibility, but you do not have the ability or power to do, what shall you do? Will you say that I do not have the ability or power to carry out such responsibility? And then you just move on and forget about it. If you are a father or mother who is overwhelmed 
by your newborn baby with life-threatening defects. You are totally not ready, unequipped to handle such baby. Can you say that? I do not have the ability to carry out my responsibility. And then you forget about it and move on. No. It is squarely your responsibility, although you may not have the capability. What shall you do? You earnestly seek help, don't you? God graciously gives power to those who are unable to repent and believe. How does God give such power and repentance? First, by the means of grace. Uh, first, by the means of prayer. This prayer relies least on ourselves, but most on on our God. This is a prayer that in Jesus' weakest moment in Gethsemane relies on the only tool and also the most powerful tool this may explain why so many people are not natural to come to the prayer meeting. If our natural man, natural man wants to rely on ourselves, but prayer is just opposite. But God says, Ask, and it shall be given you. This is how God gives unable people to repent. You ask. You may say that you have asked, but in vain. There's still no repentance and belief working in myself. How, then, how does God give Repentance after prayer. Second, by the means of the preaching of the word. So the faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Holy Spirit normally uses the preaching of the word to convict you and bring you to faith. If you know this, if you know this, God gives you power by the preaching. Are you willing to work diligently before, during, and after the preaching? This requires a lot of work, but God of order appoints such simple and even foolish way in the eyes of outsiders to give power of repentance 
and faith. God's giving us the power to repent and believe is like God's giving us food. God can give us food extraordinarily, such as God's provision of heavenly manna for Israelites in the wilderness. However, God normally gives us food by having us work and labor normal way. Nonetheless, it is God who gives food through the means of your labor. You strongly believe that God, it is God that who gives food, but you would not say, God has to give it to me, food, and then walk away and forget about that. You work, although you firmly believe that it is God who gives you food, because it's the means of God to give you food. If you work diligently in your workplace or home, I encourage you to work more diligently spiritually, which leads to much more than the perishable food. Likewise, God's normal way to provide power of repentance and faith is through the means of preaching. You need to work diligently before, during, and after preaching. Westminster Larger Catechism questions 154 through 160 tells you and me what to do before sermon how to listen to a sermon, and what we should do after a sermon. Are you willing to work more diligently than you work for your earthly food? Jesus says, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has God the Father sealed. This promise is not only for the believers, but also for the children of the believers. Peter says, For the promise is unto you, unto your children. Why is your children mentioned here? If we delete to your children and read, For the promise is unto you and to all that is afar off, even as, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Many people may feel perfectly fine, but God is not fine with that subtraction. God specifically includes your children in the promise. This promise of redemption is not a stand-alone promise. It is a promise in the covenant of grace. The essence of the promise in this covenant is the salvation 
by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Such covenant of grace has already been declared to Adam and Eve on Genesis 3.15 and administered throughout the Old and New Testament. The covenant with Abraham is not different in essence with the New Testament. With whom did God enter the covenant? With believing Abraham only? God enters with Abraham and his seed. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Even before Isaac and Jacob were born, God had entered into the covenant relationship with them. God will pursue them and be their God. God did not wait until they were converted and then enter into relationship with them. God entered first into such relationship and then converted them and was willing to be their God even before they are willing God to be their God. God cares not only about believing Abraham, but also his children as well. Imagine that many generations of Abraham were born already and all gathered around Abraham. Just imagine that. God, as it were, was covenanting with Abraham and all his little generations with many, many little ones with this great promise of being their personal God. Can Abraham find more comfort than such covenant promise. Question 74 says, Redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to infants, no less to the adult. No less. Will all the seed covenanted with God be saved? No. Ishmael had circumcised, but it was not the true seed. Esau was hated by God. Then will only a few seed of Abraham be saved? On the contrary, a great multitude of the seed of Abraham will be saved. God promised to Abraham that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. This should be our great expectation. God has promised to work along the family line of Abraham 
and convert huge number of them. If Abraham lived long enough to see many generations were born to him, the father of faith could confidently say to them that many, many of you will be saved according to the promise of faithful God. Dear believers, a child of faith, after the faith of Abraham, do you have a large family? By looking at your daughters and sons and your grandchildren, you can say that God will save many of you. If you only have one or two children, you can still say that God will save many of you because Abraham only had one seed and then after that, he has a multitude of being saved. How does God normally save a seed of Abraham? By teaching of the word and doing the word. God says that he knows Abraham. He, Abraham, will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of them. So God promised with the means of that Abraham will teach and the children will do. This is the normal way of salvation according to the covenant of grace. Dear parents, you can have great expectation. God will ask you to teach your children and give them examples and help them do the word. God will greatly multiply the believing seed behind you. Believe that promise when you sow the seed, when you water your children, your children will be like fertile soil, and your labor will be greatly blessed by God because God promised that. This field will have plenty of crops. Dear older parents, you may feel sad that you have passed that teaching period. And your baptized children are now adults. But God of Abraham is not their God. They have forsaken the preaching of the word. 
on the church altogether. You have been praying for them every day, for your wayward children, and you are very discouraged. Dear parents, do not lose your very high expectation of your children. Although God did not promise to save each single each single one of your children, God's promise of stars and sand is a solid ground of high expectation of your children's conversion. You may be sad now because the promise of God is so contrary to reality. Was not Abraham in the same situation as you are now? The promise of multitude of seed is contrary to the reality that Abraham did not have even one seed yet. But Abraham believed God. Dear parents, are you a child of Abraham? Believe in that God is very likely to save many of your children and grandchildren. God's promise is not an individual promise regarding each, each of your children, but collective promise regarding all of your children. Do you believe even when none of your children is converted? Think, of, think about Jacob. How many years did God deal with Jacob and become, became God of Jacob after Jacob fled from Esau? Twenty years of exile. If you were Isaac then, you saw worldly Esau on the one hand, a deceitful Jacob, on the other hand, but he is no longer there. Would you not be very discouraged? Can God save many of my seed? The answer is resounding yes. God patiently shaped Jacob to be his personal God. Now was the generation of Jacob, and he had 12 sons. If you were Jacob then, would you not be very sad to see the wickedness of his sons? They killed many people in Shechem, and particularly he lost his dear beloved son Joseph. How can God fulfill his promise that God will be a God to Joseph and his wicked brothers? After 20 years of loss of Joseph, 
God dealt with the children of Jacob, and they repented. God become their God. There is something noteworthy here: is how God became their personal God. God used afflictions. Also, the prodigal son in Jesus' parable came to mind after much affliction. Dear older parents, continue. To stand at at the doorpost post to watch for the returning prodigal son, continue to believe in God's collective promise about your children. They may be converted primarily by the preaching of the word, but it is also likely that God may use some trials and afflictions. God remembers His covenant with Abraham, and God is long-suffering God. Long-suffering God—that means long period of time. God did not forsake Jacob, nor the wicked sons of Jacob, who hated Joseph. If God's dealing with them would take twenty years, are you willing to pray, pray for twenty years, with great expectation of this covenant-keeping God? Jesus was very pleased when he sees a person with strong faith. He encouraged us to pray always by the parable of persistent praying widow. At the end of the parable, Jesus said, "Nonetheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you want to please God? The holy baptism is an amazing picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death and the resurrection. In this picture, the amazing grace of forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit is promised to those who repent and believe, and also to the same degree to the children of the believers. God is so trustworthy that His word of promise is. Although his word itself is all sufficient, he adds a seal on it to make it a double double guarantee. God affirms it solemnly that He will be your God if you repent and believe, and He will raise up many believers. Boys and girls, you have such heavenly seal on your forehead, forehead, with three signatures from all three persons of God. It is true that this promise does not mean that every single one of you will be saved, 
But this does mean that collectively, God will save multitude of you. You are highly likely to be converted. How are you going to be converted? By the preaching of the word. Come and hear the word. Prepare the word. Work for the hearing of the word. And most importantly, pray for your conversion, which is contrary to yourself. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, raise up a multitude, even in this church and beyond this church, so that thy name be hallowed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.